Well, hi, everybody. This is the voice of Rod Black. Longtime sports guy, broadcast guy, family guy, podcast guy, broadcast guy. And I know podcasts. And if I know podcasts, I've seen and I've heard and I've been around all of them, like my own, the Rodcast. But if you're going for a podcast, you can't look any further than the most remarkable podcast that I've ever been around. Out of all the podcasts that I've been on, this podcast is one of them. Pro Sports Podcasters. They're pros. I don't know who these dudes are. I've never met them, but they sound good. Apparently, they look good. And when you sound good and you look good, you feel good, baby. You feel good. Catch it. Pro Sports Podcasters coming to a podcast near you. I'll do anything for a million dollars. Oh, my God. That was brilliant. Can we do that a second time with a little less sarcasm, please? (laughs) (laughs) We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nee Wallace-Bruce, a.k.a. NWB. And I'm joined by Mr. Corbett Rond, also known as Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, indeed. Well, unless you're a Leafs fan. Uh, We're going to talk about the Leafs and the world of the NHL. We have a special guest. He is a writer and author. He is the author of the Hockey 365 series, and he's going to tell us all about the great game played on ice and those lovable Leafs. I think that's the level. Anyway, it is the one and only Mike Comito. Mike, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Pleasure to have you on, Mike. And you are a Leafs fan. How do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) It, I'd like to say it gets easier every year, but I think you just kind of become, um, I don't want to say indifferent to it, but, uh, you know, every year there's always some sort of new, you know, heartache or, or disappointment and, you know, there's some Leaf fans who will say, I'm done with this team. I'm, I'm, I can't come back to this anymore. But honestly, if you're a true Leafs fan, you can't really escape it. So uh, you were probably born a Leafs fan. And, you know, there's really nothing I could think of, you know, that would happen on the ice that would probably drive you away from the team. At least that's how I feel these days. So I don't know. I, I, I guess year after year, it, you just kind of get used to it. But you're just kind of hoping for that one year when they finally break through. I don't know if this is the year. It feels like the year. We'll see. But uh, yeah. It, it does get easier, so there is hope. It does get easier. Yes. I mean, there's been a lot of prompt, a number of seasons where the regular season has looked good, and then the postseason has been a, a short heartbreak. Uh, what, what, why does this season look different? 
Uh, well, I think that's a good point because, it, to be honest, like it doesn't matter until we hit April or May when we're in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you look back over the last like five, six seasons, they're they're a great regular season team. There's not, nothing you could say about how the team performs in that 82-game schedule that you could say they're not a good team. It just comes down to the playoffs. And I think, honestly, last year against Tampa Bay, like they played a really good series. It went to seven games. Like You're talking about going up against the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. It, they came pretty close. Uh, so, I mean, I'd like to think that it wasn't a first-round victory, so we're still looking for that first playoff victory in, you know, almost 20 years now. But it was a pretty darn good series, and it could have came out the other way. I think it's some of the series we've seen in the previous years where they just don't have enough to kind of get over the hump. Uh, but I think what we saw in the last playoff round, or the last playoffs, uh, is, is I think, hopefully a good sign. I think the way the team is doing this year especially with the injuries they've had and being able to kind of stay afloat. Uh, obviously the stars are performing, you know, incredibly this year as well as they always do during the regular season. But again, I caution myself to get too far uh, down the track that it doesn't matter until we get into until April. But I, I think they're weathering the storm so far. I think a little adversity right now is good. Uh, you want to have that adversity not too early in the season. So hopefully that by the time we get towards that playoff march, you know, they're they're kind of uh, humming on all cylinders and they're ready for that that grind of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you mentioned that the team in the passes lacked a little something to get over that hump. Do you think the front office is going to give the, the team the, the support that it needs as we get close to the trade deadline or is it going to be a case of work with what you got? And to that end, is Kyle Dubas the guy that's going to help get them over the hump going forward. I, I think they're they're going to get something to work with. I don't think we're going to see like a massive move necessarily. Again, I don't I don't really know what could be done given the the tight margins they're under. But I think you know what you've seen in previous years with other teams that have gone you know for the cup. It's like you got to swing for the fences, right? And so whether it's a player that maybe has some term left or they could try to swing a deal. But I mean, I think you know there's there's always talk right now about how the defense for the Leafs, you know, for the past couple of years has, has been the one area where you can look at and say that needs to be uh, improved upon. I think what we've seen so far this year is that despite the injuries, um, you know, they've weathered the storm. You've got, you know, Morgan Riley's coming back or he's come back already. Sorry, Rasmus Sandin's coming back. Connor Timmons has played really well in the absence of those two players. Uh, could that defense be improved upon? Sure. But I think that in the playoffs, obviously defense wins games, but you still need to get that scoring from across all your lines. And so as much as, you know, we know that, you know, Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner light it up in the regular season. If those guys and that, those two lines are quiet in the in the postseason, you're going to need that scoring depth, right? And I think Dubas has always found a good way to kind of shore up those the, those bottom six. Uh, you know, will he be able to find somebody to do that this year? I think it would be a, a mistake to overlook trying to bring some more scoring to that lineup. But I, I would say that I think given... Um, you know, where the team is at and, you know, the window that is still obviously wide open, but there's still, you can kind of see the light at the end of that tunnel where, you know, some of these pieces are going to kind of come together in the next couple of years that you have to start thinking about, you know, maybe making those moves in order to try to get to that that summit, right? I think I'm not, I don't want to speak for all Leafs fans, but I don't really care what they do as long as they can get it done. Uh, so, mm-hmm. I mean, if that means kind of mortgaging the short-term future for that hopeful, like uh, that Stanley Cup championship, I'm all for it. I don't. I don't care what happens after that. But obviously, you know, you want to have somebody who's who's thinking, you know, short term goals. But obviously, that that cup is is the big one there. So, right. I mean, profit and loss is temporary, but banners last forever, as someone yeah. once said. Or maybe <laughs> just made that up. Yeah, the least don't lose money. So 
It'd be mm-hmm. nice to add a few banners. Now, now, Mike, are you originally from Sudbury? Uh, no. So I'm actually originally from London, Ontario. I lived there. Well, I was born there. Lived there for six years, and I bounced around uh, until I got to Sudbury in 2003. Or no, sorry, 2001. Um, so Sudbury's home now. Um, you know, my my kids are born here. This is where we we call home now. Uh, but yeah, my dad was. I like to joke that I was a Sears brat because my uh, my dad used to work for Sears before before that business no longer existed, and he used to move us all over the province. Basically, every time he got a, a promotion, he would have to go to a different store, so we'd pick up and move to another city. So I think I lived in five or six different uh, cities in Ontario before we kind of landed in Sudbury, which is where his final stop in his Sears journey was, and and where we've kind of just called home ever since. Were you a Knights fan? Uh, I, I, that's a great question. I don't think I had been to any games. I'd have to ask my parents, but yeah, because I had only, I was only there till I was six years old. I don't really have too many memories of of what went on there. Yeah. We left London when I was six, went to Stratford, you know, for a couple of years, I went to a few Culleton games. I I remember that for sure. And then from there, uh, we went to Mississauga, uh, Timmins or no Thunder Bay, then Timmins, then Sudbury. So definitely some hockey stops along that journey, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, Thunder Bay, Sudbury, especially big hockey town. So yeah. I get the connection to hockey. And it makes sense now, considering where you began, how you became a Leafs fan. Because I know Sudbury is sort of mixed, right? You got fans mm-hmm. from a number of different teams. So it's it's kind of cool that you are a Leafs fan. Now, what attracted you to the Leafs to begin with? Who were, the, who were your sort of inspirations to begin with? Yeah, so I mean, for sure, the reason I'm a Leafs fan is honestly because of my mom, because she's a huge Leafs fan. So, I mean, that was a team that, she was cheering for in the house. So I think we kind of naturally gravitated around that. It, it definitely helped that when I obviously became of like viewing age that the Leafs were in a good position. So, I mean, I remember watching players like Doug Gilmore and w- Wendell Clark okay. were two of the guys that like I love to watch. Obviously, they both have, you know, different attributes, but were very entertaining players in their own in their own ways. Felix Podvin, I was never a goalie, never had any aspirations to play goal, but obviously his mask was incredible. Ended up using that for inspiration for the cover of the the new Leafs book that I'm working on. But it was that era, you know, the early 90s when I remember like actually watching hockey games for the first time. So like that that group that obviously went to the conference final and back to back years, like those were the players I grew up watching, but I honestly say that if it wasn't for my mom, uh, who knows what team I would have rooted for. I mean, my uncle was all is also a big Leafs fan. So I think it was in my family's family's history there, but that's an interesting story just because like my fam my mom's family grew up in, in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And, you know, that's a town that boasts, you know, the Esposito brothers, right? So naturally you got a lot of Bruins fans and even maybe <laughs> some Chicago fans in the Sioux. I think my my late grandfather who passed away when I was very young. He had played hockey in his own right. He'd been invited to a couple of Detroit Red Wings camps, um, you know, in the 50s. And I think he might have been a Red Wings fan, but I want to say that he was probably also a Bruins fan because of the Esposito connection. Tony Zook also used to live on our on my grandparents' street. He played for the Blues. So, like, a lot of, you know, in those eras in Northern Ontario, like, you had a lot of guys that came out of those small little, you know, hard rock and, like, blue-collar communities and so you got a lot of original six representation here. I mean, my father-in-law is French Canadian and he's a Habs fan. So like even in Sudbury, you've got the pockets of of obviously Leafs and Habs. And then you've got the outliers like the Blackhawks and the Red Wings who, you know, they've got strong beds here as well. Yeah. And that's an awesome era to grow up as a Leafs fan for sure. Some of the most exciting hockey was played by the Leafs at that time. Mm-hmm. Now we're lucky enough to get Justin join us. Justin, how's it going? 
Oh, so good. Sorry for uh, me being a little late there. <clears throat> Dinner was served at the same time that this was starting. So I'm like, oh, no, I had to run. <laughs> no, we're used to you being late. So no, no worries there. Facts. Yeah. No. Anyways, sorry. So I caught the tail end of that conversation. Uh, Kobe, what was your intro question for that? Oh, I was just, I wonder if he had, if he was, had lived in Sudbury all his life, but no, he, he bounced around quite a bit and how he became a Leafs fan. That's all. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Mike, I saw you started following me on Twitter this morning and I was like, is this the guy we're supposed to interview? I'm like, is this the same guy? <laughs> so I ended up creeping you for like 20 minutes. Hey, there you Brilliant. go. Perfect. Now, since you've been viewing hockey for quite a while, especially from the Leafs coming from the author perspective, if you will, uh, just to kind of really pick your brain early on in this interview, who is the best defenseman the Leafs have ever had? I mean, it's, 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 you know, after what we've seen, I think over the last like month or so, you know, I, I, I don't want to like get into recency bias, but I mean, Bioria Salming, I think for everything that he did, you know, for the franchise and everything he did for hockey coming over and defying, I think a lot of the expectations or misconceptions that people had around European players and, you know, like for him being a Swedish player, like the, the common misconception was like the, the term chicken sweet. And he was obviously the exact opposite of that. Um, you know, he was tough as nails uh, and he, he gave it as good as he could take it. And so, you know, for me, especially, you know, with how emotional it's been to kind of see, you know, his courageousness just before he lost his battle with ALS, like, I think even before that kind of came to light and we saw how emotional it was with his return and final return to Toronto, you could have argued that Salming is, it would be up there number one. You know, I, I'd say so as well. The, the Leafs have been, I think, fortunate to have a lot of great players come through on the blue line. I mean, Tim Horton is another one uh, that comes to mind, but I, I really do think Salming um, for what he did, you know, not only for the franchise, especially in some of those years where obviously the team wasn't, you know, super competitive, but, you know, I think he was a key part of that blue line. Uh, but I think what he did for hockey history as well, I think is important and kind of speaks to his legacy, not only with the club, but uh, but with the NHL and with hockey history in general. He, yeah, he was a catalyst for Swedish players across the whole league and arguably even for the Swedish league too, giving them some recognition and a little bit of notoriety. I mm -hmm. mean, in a way he kind of opened the door for Matt Sundin too. Not mm -hmm. really, but also kind of, yeah. Swedes love uh, the Leafs, man. Swedes love the Leafs. Yeah. Yeah, for whatever reason, there's like a really good connection between them. Uh, well, when your family came over, Kobe, they're just like, yeah, so about the Leafs. That's right. And I was like, yes. Yeah, and they're like, how much for a ticket? And I was like, <laughs> do you have a mortgage? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, okay, moving forward. So now that you also cover the Leafs, but do you cover the Marlies too? No, no. So, uh, I mean, I think my uh, my interest in coverage of the Leafs is is purely as a fan. Um, obviously, okay. I've, I've spent the last, you know, almost a year now writing a, a Leafs book through the lens of hockey history. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny cause yeah, I don't, yeah, it's uh, I, I spent most of my time the last, I'd say four years writing about the LA Kings more than I've written anything about the Leafs. Uh, and that just kind of mm -hmm. came about through circumstance just by, you know, kind of working my way up in the writing world. And I did some blogging for an LA Kings fan blog, the Royal half. And then from there that kind of just led to some other opportunities you know, I wasn't necessarily doing a lot, any on-ice coverage for the Kings. I was doing um, a lot of hockey history for them as well, but also some prospect coverage just by one of the unique things about living in Sudbury is that we do have an OHL team here. So I do have the opportunity to see some prospects as they come through, which is, you know, unlike some other markets, you know, I think that's one advantage that Sudbury has is, is prospect viewing. Because certainly being a, being a writer for the LA Kings 3,000 miles away isn't that helpful to me. But being able to kind of keep an eye on their prospects when they come through, was kind of fun to be able to kind of tie that into some of the work that I was doing for them. But all that to say, it's it's interesting how things kind of panned out. But obviously, the Leafs were my team growing up. But I ended up 
doing most of my hockey writing over the last four years, honestly, has been for the for the LA Kings. Well, so I won't even ask you about William Nylander going through the system then, because that was where I was going to branch. But now my last question before I pass off to Kobe again. A lot of myths and rumors, the Leafs kind of have a really terrible defense. It's kind of just been the narrative, especially around Toronto. Um, I feel like personally this year it's kind of been a little debunked, given the fact that they have allowed only 94 goals against, which is tied for the second least. The only team that has least goals against, and that's Boston. We're tied with Carolina, which is pretty cool. I'm not going to lie because Carolina is the number one in Metropolitan Division. So my question to you, with the hype that the defense was pretty trash and that our goalkeeping was going to be wishy-washy at best, have the Leafs surprised you defensively? Yeah, I, I would say like, I think, you know, this is actually one of the things that we had, uh, I think we covered while you're eating dinner was that uh, I think you always look at the Leafs defense over the last few years and it's always the one area you can point to that it probably is the one area where outside of the goaltending, you could you could upgrade this and you could improve upon this, that it's not like a complete set. It's not a, a contending core group. And I'm not saying that it, it currently is a contending group, but I think what we've seen this year is that, especially with the injuries they've had to the blue line, you know, they've had key players out for weeks at a time, months at a time, and they've been able to kind of continue, uh, you know, playing good defense with guys that are coming in. I think, you know, you've seen, you know, what, what Connor Timmons has done just in the short little audition that he's had so far. And it's unfortunate with, not unfortunate, but obviously with Riley and Sandine coming back, you know, somebody's going to have to get, uh, be the odd man out. But I think what we've seen, especially with, you know, the, the bets so far, and I touch wood here on this wooden table that this, uh, this computer is on, is that obviously Samsonov and Murray, you know, when they're healthy, they've been exactly what we hoped they would be. And I know that a lot of people, I think, going into this year had thought that, well, it's still a pretty big gamble that these guys aren't, you know, necessarily going to have re- rebounds just because, you know, Dubas is going to have a rehabilitation project with both these players uh, or reclamation project, I guess is the better term. But uh, but I think they've done exactly what what we thought they would do. And again, we weren't ex- we didn't the Leafs don't need a Vesna uh, caliber goaltender. They needed somebody who could provide average goaltending. And that's just something the team wasn't getting, you know, that the tail end of, of Jack Campbell's career here. But uh, to go back to your point about the D, I mean, I, I think, yeah, it's 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 honestly been probably the most solid, I think, you know, trustworthy group that we've seen in, in quite some time, at least that I can remember. Could we make some tweaks before the deadline to get ready for the playoffs? I'm sure. You know, I don't think Dubas is going to stand pat. Like I, um, you know, one of the things I said earlier as well is that it would be it would be uh, short sighted to overlook trying to uh, shore up some depth scoring. Just because obviously in the playoffs, if those top two lines get shut down or they dry up, you need to have that scoring coming from secondary areas. So I mean, I think that's something that, despite the fact that everyone always points to the D as an area where are they going to make that move? Are they going to get in on Chikrin or what? I don't know how they would do that, but are they going to get on these big moves on D? I mean. Sure, that's great, but I think in addition to trying to make some improvements along the margins on D, that secondary scoring in the playoffs is what's going to make her break, um, you know, hopefully getting past that first round and beyond. That was such a brilliant answer. I would love to clip some of that and use it for promotion. Kobe? Uh, knees with us, Justin. Yeah. Oh, is he? I didn't see him. <laughs> I, I listen. That's, that's a skill that I've learned through podcasting, just, you know, listen. Uh, anyway, Justin, believe. it's good to have you on. <laughs> happy, happy New Year, Justin. <laughs> Happy New Year to you. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. Now, you touched on some of your writing, and you mentioned that you've got a, a book that's nearing completion on the lease, and you wrote, you've written about the Kings. 
tell us a little bit more about that because not only do you write on hockey, but I believe you're also, I believe you're a, a professor, right? I'm so I'm not a professor, but I am. Uh, I do work at Cambrian College here in Sudbury, and I'm the director of applied research and innovation. So I coordinate all of the applied research activities of the college, where companies and industry and other partners in our community. They come to the college, they work with our students, our staff and our faculty to help bring ideas to life. So for example, I don't wanna to get too far into this, but if someone has an idea for a new you know, product or prototype, they would come work with us, the students and the staff and the faculty would help assemble that, kind of design it, bring it to life. And then that would help give this company some insights into whether or not it makes sense to spend more resources to develop this, to bring it to market or to commercialize it into their own, oper own operation. So very different from what I do for the reason why you're talking to me today, but it's, it's, it's a great gig. We do a lot of cool stuff every day, but I think the best part about it is that the students that work in our department, they all get paid for this work and it really helps them kind of take what they're learning in the classroom and apply it to these real world challenges they're working on with these partners uh, from fields, from mining to, to med tech. There we go. You'll love to see it. Now, tell our audience a little bit more about Hockey 365 and what that what that's about. Yeah, so Hockey 365 is kind of, uh, you know, in, in some ways, it's kind of an offshoot of what, you know, what I do on Twitter. And on if you look for me on Twitter at Mike Comito, it's every day I share these daily moments in hockey history. So, for example, you know, today was the, the anniversary of, of Doug Gilmore being acquired by the Leafs in 1992 as part of this 10-player blockbuster with the Flames, right? And we don't see those types of trades anymore. Uh, so that in itself is you know notable, but obviously that is a huge moment in Leafs history because we know that Doug Gilmore was a, was a significant player for the Leafs, especially during those, those, those runs in the early to mid nineties. Um, so anyway, that's uh, where I was going with this was that I do these little tidbits every day on Twitter and I'd been doing it for a few years. I'd started writing for different places like Sportsnet and Vice where I was kind of doing these, you know, hockey history, long form pieces and I started to build up a bit of a portfolio and I thought, what if I took what I was doing on Twitter, combined it with what I was doing with my online writing, and we did an off like a book offering where you had a short hockey history story for every day of the year. And so the the picture of that kind of came together on a beach in Mexico in 2017. Um, I thought, you know what, this is now this I've got this in my head. I have to write this. So I sketched it on an outline on the way back from Mexico. Got an agent when I came home, got a contract not that long after that and started putting the book together. And then the book came out in, in 2018. And yeah, it is exactly what I said it is. It's a, it's a basically a page per day for 366 days of the year because we had to include an extra one for leap years. And so uh, I did that first one in, in 2018. And then uh, the second one came out in 2021. Same concept, but a whole new suite of stories. So there's no repeats in those first two volumes, uh, the first and second period, that means there's probably a third period at some point down the road, don't have one yet. In the meantime, what we've done is kind of taken the same premise from Hockey 365 and adapted it for the Leafs. So it'll be the same concept where we've now, instead of having you know, the swath of hockey history, it's just gonna be Leafs focused. So you'll have 366 Leaf stories, uh, one for every day of the year, you know, covering uh, everybody from the the team's original beginnings and you know the the birth of the NHL in 1917 all the way up until you know what's happened this year with Mitch Marner and that uh, that franchise record point streak. There we go. A very rich history. I say the word rich, I guess, tongue in cheek, because the Leafs are, you know, the most one of the most profitable franchises in the league, but they're also, as we touched on before, one of the most one of the least successful 
in covering the history of the league, have, have you ever seen a phenomenon like this before where the Leafs are at, where they're so good off the ice, yet they're so, I guess, profligate on the ice? Yeah, I mean, it's it's you think of like other teams that have been really profitable right now, like obviously the Rangers are another big one uh, near the top. And they also went through a really long drought. Mind you, they weren't as profitable, I think, in those lean years when they were going through their drought as they currently are now and since then. But it's not that uncommon, you know, to see these teams go through these stretches. I think obviously because I think the Leafs get so much focus, uh, rightly or wrongly, that I think people obviously point to that that long-standing drought and they they're incessant about that drought and they always talk about that drought and you can never have a good reply on Twitter without somebody bringing up 1967. But, but nevertheless, it's, 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 you, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because obviously as a Leafs fan in my, my lifetime, I have never seen, you know, Stanley cup victory. My, my mother, who's, you know, 65 years old, you know, she would have seen one when she was 10 years old and, and nothing since then. But there's, you know, other franchises out there who haven't won anything ever before, right? So, I mean, I think obviously it's a different story because the Leafs have been around much longer. And then you'll have other people reply that, of course, the, you know, when the Leafs won their cups, it was when it was a six-team league. So, like, how, you know, and then we'll debate the merit of those cups because, you know, there was only six teams and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, there's there's teams who haven't won anything yet. So, I mean, I, uh, I hold out hope that we've seen – the droughts get broken before in 94 with the Rangers, you know, obviously saw with uh, the Sox in, 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 in previous uh, years and with the Cubs, you know, I, I remember watching those games and, you know, hopefully thinking like maybe one day this will happen to me, but you never know. It's uh, it, it is tough for sure. You just hope that, uh, you know, that this is the year. And if it's not the year that the year is not that far off. But again, it's I think a lot of Leaf fans who have been kind of plugged in, you know, to when this rebuild began that, you uh, People are going to lose patience if, if we don't start to see at least some progress come through. And I mean, I think we're at the point now where even, you know, a first round victory followed by a second round loss is not is not progress. Right. Obviously, it's progress on paper because they haven't won a series in, you know, almost 20 years. But the, I think the patience for for where this team is going is is wearing thin. And, and you just hope that they're starting to kind of put the pieces together. I, I, I feel that they are. But again, it's uh it's the hardest trophy to win and, you know, things could be going well right now. Things can be going well in the first round and then, you know, you never know what happens in the playoffs. And I think that's why we love it so much. But, uh, but God, as, as a Leafs fan, you just hope that one day, you know, before you have too many gray hairs that uh, you can experience it. There we go. That would be quite a party if they did win. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. I, uh, I remember this was the, well, this was back in 2010. My, one of my buddies, his dad was a, was a long suffering Blackhawks fan. And uh, you know, they, I forget how long their drought was at that point, but it would, it was not quite near the level of the Leafs, but it was, it, was, it had been going on for quite some time. And, uh, and I, and I was there with him and we were having a party that night at his, his dad's house when the, with the hope that the Blackhawks would win and they did. And I just remember how elated he was with that, with that celebration. I just remember kind of looking at him and saying like, man, look how happy he is. He's obviously like, like my dad's age, but you know, he's still at that age, like is obviously overjoyed that this is happening. And so I just kind of finally, I remember filing that back in my, in the back of my head saying like, hopefully one day that'll be me. Hopefully I'm not as old as he is, but hopefully one day that'll be me. And I'll, I'll remember that look on his face when they actually finally won that cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about your opinion on the recent expansion in the NHL. I mean, the NHL has lost a certain amount of market share, but you are seeing these new expansion franchises. They're having some immediate success and financial success. 
Do you think they should look to expand more in, back into Canada or does it even matter anymore? I mean, a part of me wants to see, I think, you know, the to see the NHL come back into some areas in Canada. I think there's obviously some markets, especially in Quebec, that obviously could support a team. But then I think you just have to look at the brass tacks and you look at the markets that are available in the United States that could also support teams. And I think we've seen, you know, how the league has grown into some of those areas where it's maybe non-traditional in air quotes, just because I, th- I think that's an irrelevant term that doesn't really matter. I think if you're a fan of hockey, you're a fan of hockey, it doesn't matter where you live mm-hmm. and it shouldn't matter where you live. But I think it's just, it's hard to overlook that, you know, before you'd make a case to come back to Canada, whether it's uh, Quebec or somewhere else, you've got these really big markets in the States. And so for me, you know, I don't really focus on that. I think what I want more than having another team in Canada is I want a Canadian team you know, to win the Stanley Cup, but I obviously want it to be the Leafs. I'm not going to cheer for another Canadian team to win. It would be nice to see the Cup come back to Canada, don't get me wrong. But uh, but I think beyond, you know, locations, um, I think it's just whatever is good for the growth of the game. I think we're at a point now, though, where, you know, I think for a little while, like 32 teams is, is quite a lot, right? I think we obviously haven't seen, you know, any impact on the watering down of talent or anything like that. But I, I do feel as though at some point, like you can't just keep going or, or maybe you can. I've, I really have no no idea as to what the uh, what the cap should be in terms of the number of teams you'd allow into the league. But yeah, it would be great to get some to get another team in Quebec to get that uh, that that rivalry again going between Montreal and Quebec City. But again, I think as we've seen over the last few years, like the NHL seems to be, you know, hell bent on either keeping the Coyotes in the desert or not or not relocating them to Quebec or not you know allowing expansion to Quebec. So. We'll see. Um, but certainly, I think to your point, you know, obviously these expansions have worked out really well and they've worked out really well for the league. But I think even those markets that we've seen already, just, you know, Vegas had a team for five years. Seattle's in its second season. I think you've seen just how well, you know, they've become adopted in those markets. I think the yeah. proof is, you know, look no further than the Winter Classic next year between the Golden Knights and uh, and the Kraken uh, in Seattle. So that's going to be a, a cool game to watch. And I think just kind of speaks to how the league is changing. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I'm excited for the Winter Classic too, especially because it's not, I don't even know if it's a classic anymore per se, given the fact that, like you just mentioned, it's going to be two expansion franchises who the Kraken didn't do very well their first year, but obviously they've seen some turnaround now. Um, continuing on this for continuing on this path of the Leafs, realistically, level with me here. Once we make the playoffs, do you feel like we can get past the first round? For me, it's kind of like I think of when Vancouver finally like beat Chicago in 2011 and they obviously didn't go on to win the Stanley Cup. So I obviously kind of shudder at using this example, but they it was kind of like this like cathartic moment where they had slayed the dragon. Right. And so I feel like if Toronto could get past the first round, that could be all it takes for them to just be like, all right, like we can win now in the postseason and there's nothing stopping us from winning more. So like that's how I choose to kind of view what that first round success could mean for the team. For me personally, and maybe this is just the sicko in me because I'm a a Leafs fan now for 37 years, but like if they were able to do that in a first round matchup against a team like the Bruins, then I think that would give them the ultimate like slaying the dragon mentality because they've they've gone up against the Bruins so many times, they've come up short. So at at some point they're going to have to go through them you know, to get through the playoffs, um, you know, so whether it's in the first round or the second round, it doesn't really matter. They're going to have to face them at some point, unless, of course, you know, things don't go the way for the Bruins and they get out, they get uh, ousted before that. But I don't know, something about the Leafs going up against the Bruins and finally getting over that hump, I think would kind of just give them that momentum to keep going. 
But then again, like I said earlier, anything can happen and they could get through that first round and then just, you know, get stopped like a Mack truck after that. But I really do feel that like all that pent up frustration and coming up short, um, if they're able to kind of get through that first barrier, who knows? I'm not too sure either myself, but what I do know is I'm kind of curious to see if Buffalo is going to uh, going to make the playoffs. It's kind of unrelated, but it's a bit of our neighbor, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been fun watching uh, Tage Thompson do Tage Thompson things this year, so I'd, I'd be all for that. Obviously, I think if Buffalo's in the playoffs, it definitely makes a lot of those games with the Leafs more meaningful, and especially if you, know, you were to get to a point where if it's maybe not this year, but in the coming years where – they're now squaring off in the playoffs. I think that'd be great too. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's great when you start to see those teams that uh, you know, it's all kind of coming, kind of coming out of the rebuilds and kind of in becoming more competitive and hopefully, you know, squaring off against each other just makes things more interesting, especially in that division. And obviously, from a geographic perspective, it's always great when your uh, your neighborly rival uh, rivals uh, are at, at your level again. For sure, and we kind of like that too. I mean. I would like it if Buffalo – this is going to sound like a weird selfish thing for me, but I'd like it if Buffalo kind of disintegrated and then we got Hamilton as a team. I get that we're living in like a weird kind of parallel paradox universe right now, but let me live. Let me live my dream. <laughs> my last question to you, uh, and this is a bit, of a bit of a heavy one. If the Leafs don't make it past the first round, what say Dubas? I think if the Leafs don't get by the first round, I think he's done. I, I, I've said this since last year. I, I think that going into the playoffs last year – I don't think it would have been the right move to to get rid of him. Um, I think you know, with we saw with Tampa Bay, they they played really well. It just didn't go their way. I mean, you could look at some of those games, and you know, just that's what happens in the playoffs sometimes, right? And I think if you look at it from the perspective of that particular postseason, it's fine. I think obviously when you add it to what we've seen in the past, the four years preceding that, you kind of it compounds it a little bit. But I think. It really depends, but ultimately, I think we're past the point where I think last year was his year where we're like, okay, they, you know, there was a tough matchup. Talking about the defending two-time Stanley Cup champions, you know, anybody could have lost that series. It's not a big deal. But like, if they lose the first round series this year, and it is to a great team like the Bruins or whoever, I think the leash is is short enough now that it's like we're done. We got to try something else again. You know, it's it's hard to say because you look at other teams where that stayed the course and they didn't blow it up and they didn't do anything drastic. I mean, I don't think firing your GM is, is a drastic move. I think moving off a player that could potentially, you know, alter the course of your franchise forever is a drastic move. So I think if you're going to start somewhere, you're not going to start with trading one of your star players. You'll probably start with a move like that to see, like, how can we kind of maybe rebuild a bit? Does the coach go? I mean, I think Sheldon Keefe should be in the conversation for the Jack Adams this year with how well the team has played despite the injuries. But I would say that, yeah, if they don't if they don't get out of the first round this year, despite the circumstances of that loss, I think, you know, he'll definitely be in the hot seat. Not that he hasn't been in the hot seat already for the last three years, depending on who you talk to. But I feel like at some point, something's got to give. Something's got to give and something's got to snap. Nee, do you have any uh, Australian expressions to go with this? Uh, I've just had a mind blank. There is one, but I've just had a mind blank. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, it'll come to me as I go to sleep tonight, but don't worry about it. Uh, it won't be useful <laughs> right now, so it'll have to be for another time. Mike, Justin touched on Hamilton just before, and the, the Leafs are probably in the toughest media market in the league. That, you know, they have at least three newspapers watching the move of every player. 
and uh, as well as the minor league affiliate, the Marlies. Could you see a scenario, now work with me, I know this is a bit outside of the box, but could you see a scenario where the Leafs could maybe move out to Hamilton and get a change of scenery? Could that be the way that we break the curse? The, I, I think Justin calls it the Har- Harold Ballard curse. Oh, and just like pick up and move the team to to Hamilton? Yeah, I as long as they're still wearing blue and white, uh, you can call them the Hamilton Maple Leafs. If they are wearing blue and white and they're called the Leafs and they win the Stanley Cup, you can move them to Sudbury for all I care, and uh, I, I'd be happy to do that. It's, it's funny you mentioned the Harold Ballard curse because there was a time in the 80s when uh, you know Ballard and the, the Oilers owner had talked about switching franchises, and uh, they were just going to basically swap the teams that they had, and the Leafs would go to Edmonton and become the Oilers there, and the Oilers would come to Toronto, and they would become the Leafs. And obviously, if you know any of the Oilers' history, that would have been a great move for Harold Ballard to have made. Uh, again, who knows how much of that is, is true or not. It's kind of an urban legend at this point, but I think it's, uh, you know, it's not that you're, you're moving the team to Hamilton is not that outlandish because I think we've seen some more outlandish scenarios in the past. Um, where again, in that scenario, Wayne Gretzky is a, is a leaf along with all those other members of the Oilers, Oilers dynasties. Who knows? Do they win those cups in, in Toronto? We'll never know, but it's a fun, it's a fun one to kind of, uh, mull over in your head. Yeah. I, I think at this point, I'm gonna do try everything. <laughs> this is <laughs> I, I've never seen a franchise in this position. I, I think Justin, myself, and Kobe have covered this in a previous episode. But there's no other team in sports that's like this. It's it's a phenomenon. It's there's got to be some way of breaking this curse. Uh, but Mike, yeah. we'll, we'll be following you on on Twitter. And you mentioned before that your your handle there is at Mike Mito. Do you have any other social media that you'd like to share with our audience? Twitter's probably the best place to find, you know, the hockey history stuff and the writing that I'm doing in between the book. I mean, I do have the same kind of offering on Instagram. It's Hockey Facts 365, I think. I should probably know that, but it's it's definitely one of those things where in the last couple of years I've thought about I don't have enough of uh I'd neglected Instagram, but it's Hockey 365 Facts. Uh so again, if you prefer to follow hockey history on Instagram, you can find some of my stuff there. But definitely Twitter is where you'll find all those daily moments and all and all the stuff that I do in between, for sure. All right. Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, I know Justin is definitely going to be rooting for that first-round <laughs> win with yourself. And um, if it doesn't happen, it'll be sad times indeed over on Bay and Front. 100, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, oh, yeah. there's always next year and there's always the Blue Jays, right? Yeah, yeah. There is always next year. I feel like I say that every year, but there is always next year. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's been a long one. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our Insider Tips, Sponsor Giveaways, and Insider Newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasts experience, where no sport is left behind.